All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17. Revelation 17, verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her head a name was written, a mystery. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder the, whose names has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now in our chapter we have a description of the imminent fall of Babylon. The imminent fall of Babylon and it is one of the seven angels, the seven angels mentioned in the last two chapters, chapters 15 and 16, who have seven bowls in which are seven plagues, and these seven plagues are the wrath of God, the, the wrath of God that's poured out on the earth. Now this chapter, the main issue is who or what is Babylon the Great? Who or what is Babylon the Great? 
In terms of unity, among the various interpretations, it is agreed that this represents false religion, falsehood, which is seductive and attractive to everyone. Seductive and attractive false religion, and this is the main issue right here. However, the difference of opinion resides in what city is this about? Is this about a literal city? Is this about a figurative city? Is this about a literal city in the past, in the present, or in the future? And then if it is a, a literal city of the past, present, or future, which one is it specifically? Is it the city of ancient Rome in the first century? Is it the city of Rome in our current age? Is it the city of Rome in the future, the literal Rome of Rome of Italy? Is it that city, either past, present, or future? Another interpretation, which takes this literally, would take it to mean that it is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, either of the past, the present, or the future. And primarily with the Jerusalem view, it would be a future Jerusalem where this false religion resides and promote, is promoted throughout the earth. And then another literal view would to say that this is literal Babylon, literal Babylon of a future time. Babylon that's right there by the Euphrates River. This would be a future Babylon that is re rebuilt, restored, and becomes prosperous and powerful. And there are many who take that interpretation also, a literal Babylon. Or if we take this to be figurative, figurative of false religion, and false religion that masquerades and pretends to be the true religion, then we could say that this would be popular or nominal Christianity. And the best, or the two best, <coughs> depictions or manifestations of this false Christianity would be in the Roman Catholic Church and even in the Orthodox Church. However, in Protestantism, there are plenty of liberal, apostate, unbelieving, heretical denominations. So Protestants have no uh, ground to stand because we also have our false religions among us. Well, whatever the view, the, the way to look at this passage is to see that this will influence many nations, this false religion, and it will be defeated by God. Okay? So now let's look at the particulars. Revelation 17 and verse 1. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. As we've seen already, angels do characteristically in the book of Revelation mediate between God and John. And this angel, sent by God, commissioned by God to reveal truth to John the Apostle, does so in this case. And chapters 15 and 16 specifically are the last and final outpouring of God's wrath on the world, the unbelieving world. And here it says that this is specifically the judgment of the great harlot. The judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The judgment of the harlot is here announced, but then the actual judgment, the fall of it, takes place in chapter 18. And then in chapter 19, the early part of chapter 19, there is also a rejoicing and a reflection on the fall of Babylon the Great.
Now notice here in verse 1 that she is called the great harlot. The great harlot, great in the sense, not great in the sense of good and marvelous, but great in that it is powerful and ominous and perilous, great in its danger, and also harlot. A harlot is another word for a prostitute, an immoral woman, a woman who, who feeds on the, the sins of others, who feeds on the sins of others and even influences others to practice sins. So the harlot benefits, and then the people who commit immorality with the harlot benefit for their own lusts and their own pleasures. And this harlot is described as sitting on many waters. Sitting on many waters. In chapter 17, verse 15, in our chapter, we have a description of what it means for the harlot to sit. To sit on many waters. Verse 15. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. These are the unbelieving, reprobate people of the world who are represented here as the waters. They are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. The harlot is the one who is reigning over them. She has control over them. This is why she is sitting on them or sitting by them. She is on her throne and she is ruling over them. In Jeremiah 51.13, Babylon in the time of Jeremiah was described as being one that is sitting by the waters and the waters are the peoples because it controlled the peoples of the earth at that time. Verse 2, we know that we're talking about people as waters because of verse uh, 2. It says, the harlot is with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. The kings of the earth, all of the powerful men, the potentates of the earth, they commit immorality with this harlot. In the Bible, such as Isaiah 1.21 and many other places, whenever idolatry is practiced and all of the sins associated with idolatry are practiced, the people who are doing so are called harlots or they're called immoral men. They are practicing prostitution, spiritual prostitution, when they worship false gods. So the kings of the earth and those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, that is the wicked, unbelieving world, and the kings, kings and commoners, all run, they run in haste and lust after this great harlot. They commit immorality with her. And what does she do to them? Now, they come to her because they want to drink, figuratively speaking, metaphorically speaking, they want to drink of the wine that she has. But what is she going to do? She's going to make them drunk with the wine of her immorality. They're, they want to have pleasure. They want to have pleasure in the mouth and, in the, and, and with the body. But what she's going to do is make them, the people, drunk with her idolatry with her idolatry and all the sins that she promotes and pours out on the people who come to her. Verse 3, And he, that is, the angel, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. 
We have seen this before, that John the Apostle is in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, in certain parts of the book, such as 110, chapter 4, verse 2, and 21, verse 10, are certain significant parts in the book. And it's there to emphasize the fact that what he sees and what will happen is indeed from the Spirit of God. It will happen. It is a certainty. It is true. Now, John is brought in the Spirit into a wilderness. In the Scriptures, the wilderness is usually a place of trials and temptations. The wilderness is also, because of the temptations and the people who succumb to the temptations, is a place of judgment. For example, in the time of Moses, the wilderness generation, they were placed in the wilderness as a test and a trial to see if they would follow God. Deuteronomy 8.2 says that he humbled them and tested them. He let them be hungry and thirsty to see whether they would keep his commandments or not. Well, the people who don't keep God's commandments are punished, just like they were in the wilderness generation of Moses. Here, too, the people who cling to the harlot, who cling to the harlot when he sees this scene of temptation and trials, they are going to succumb and be punished for it. That's why it's in the wilderness. Now, this woman is further described, verse 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman is on a scarlet beast, a scarlet red beast. And the beast has blasphemous names, seven heads and ten horns. This beast is the beast of the sea of chapter 13. Of chapter 13, verses 1 to 10, specifically verses 1 to 6, there too he had blasphemous names, there too he had seven heads and ten horns. That means that this beast and the, and the woman, they are working together with their sins. They're working together to overcome and to destroy the souls of men. Verse 4, further described, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet uh, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Notice that in verse 4, she is immaculately, opulently clothed. She's dressed in this way, purple and scarlet. These are colors associated with royalty and wealth, purple and scarlet. And then adorned with gold and precious stones, pearls. Not everyone is able to clothe themselves this way, but she is. And then she has a golden cup, a golden cup. She lives luxuriously. She accumulates the wealth of other people. That's what a harlot does. A prostitute does, accumulates illegally, illicitly, the wealth of other people. And she does this so much, she's not like a regular harlot. <coughs> a regular harlot usually does accumulate the wealth of others, but she doesn't live in luxury. But this one does. She's so skilled in what she does, she lives in luxury. She's so deceptive in what she does, She's able to hoodwink many, many people into giving her their money. That's the kind of false religion she promotes. 
and in the cup, in the golden cup, and not everyone knows what's in the cup until they drink it. But what does she have? She has abominations and unclean things of her immorality. Everything that's detested by God, everything that's unclean by God, that God considers impure and unclean, that's what's in the cup. And she gives this to others and promotes her immorality this way. Verse 5. Upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery. Now this name is a mysterious name. It's a, a mysterious name because we have to identify who this is. And the name on her forehead. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. In Revelation 13, if you had the name of the Antichrist, the beast of the sea on your head, you were doomed. That's because your name was not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But in chapter 7, if you have your name sealed with, by God, you are sealed unto salvation. You belong to God. In this way, too, she's identified, and obviously in verse 5, she's identified as someone who is controlled by sin, by the devil, by the beast, by all things that are false. She is called Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. She is the supreme source. She gives birth to other harlots. She reproduces after her kind. And she reproduces the abominations of the earth. She reproduces and she promotes all that is abominable throughout the earth. Again, we'll have to see, according to later verses and even my preliminary comments, Babylon the Great. Who is this Babylon the Great? Certainly we know ancient Rome promoted paganism and idolatry and spread that throughout the Roman Empire. We know that that happened when Rome conquered Greece and even during the first century, during the time of Jesus and the apostles, and for centuries after that. We also know that Rome, controlled by Catholicism in the Middle Ages, promoted idolatry and paganism, and even to our day. They promote, uh, they promote inclusivism, that is, everyone will be saved, whether they know about Christ or not, everyone will be saved because they will be associated with Christ either in this world or if they go to purgatory or from limbo, whatever. In one way or another, Christ is going to save them. So it ends up that very few people, if anyone, actually goes to hell because everyone basically will go to heaven. That's the kind of belief that they have. And many other false denominations have that same belief. These are the kinds of harlotries and abominations that they spread throughout the world. But also, this could be in the future. If Rome reestablishes itself, not only as a religious power as it is now, but a political power working together. The beast, a political power, and the harlot, the religious power, working together, at least for a time, in order to dominate the world. It could also happen in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, in modern Jerusalem, it could happen that a political and religious power establishes itself and pollutes the rest of the world. Uh, or any number of other interpretations are very possible. Verse 6. 
And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Now, the woman with her golden cup makes, makes her men drunk, her spiritual men drunk with sins. And in this case, she gets drunk. She gets drunk too. They're both drunk. Everyone is drunk. And she's drunk, however, with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Now, usually... The commentators will say that this is not the blood of two different groups, but the blood of the saints described again, so that we could read it this way. She's drunk with the blood of the saints, that is, with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. The saints, the only ones who are holy, are those who are witnessing of Jesus, who belong to Jesus and testify of Christ to others. That is the typical and the better way to look at this. Others have said, however, they have said, the saints are those of the Old Testament and the witnesses are those of the New Testament. So witnesses of Jesus, New Testament, and the saints are those of the Old Testament. However, though the Old Testament saints are called saints and the New Testament ones are called followers of Jesus and witnesses of Jesus, that's all true, it seems better to take this to mean one group described in two ways. They are holy ones or saints, and they are those who testify of Christ. They are witnesses of Christ. John sees this group of people who are slain by the woman. Notice it's the blood that is what makes her drunk. She engorges and uh, satiates herself with the blood of others. That is, she martyrs them, she kills them, she murders them. This is how she succeeds. This is what she loves to drink. False religion loves to take away and kill the souls of men. Now, in this case, she's not going to be victorious in a spiritual sense because though she murders saints physically, she will not murder them spiritually because the Lamb will overcome, as it said in 1714. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. The blood that she drinks is the physical blood. She massacres and assassinates and murders saints, people, the people of God. Now, this is so appalling to the apostle that he wonders greatly. He is so astonished and amazed at this that he wonders greatly how could it be that people like her would be so ruthless that she would take away the life of so many innocent people that's what's in his mind not only innocent people but these are righteous people these are saints redeemed by the blood of Christ so verse 7 and the angel said to me why do you wonder why do you wonder why is it that you wonder you should not be amazed? In a, in a way, you should not be amazed because this woman will have great authority and great power and I'm telling you in advance that this is what will happen. So don't be alarmed and, and scared. Don't be surprised. 
I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. I will tell you all about it, so that you are not alarmed and amazed and wonder greatly any more. Verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. The beast was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. That last part is the key to understand why we should not wonder because that beast will be destroyed. What does it mean, was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss? Well, various interpretations exist for this. That is, it could be that the, the beast or the Antichrist was there in the first century, and this would, would be several of the emperors, a few of the emperors, specifically, according to verse, uh, verses 9 and following, that there would be uh, a few emperors who have already existed, one who um, is no more, that used to exist, and then some of them believe that this was Nero, who was thought to come back from the dead and is about to come up out of the abyss. Just as Jesus died and rose again, some think that Nero was to do that, and that's what he's alluding to here. And others think that it's Nero in spirit. Not Nero actually, but Nero and the spirit of Nero who is going to temporarily give the people of God reprieve. But ultimately, he will rise up again and he will afflict the people of God because he's going to come out of the abyss. The spirit of Nero is going to come out of the abyss and torment the people of God because that which comes out of the abyss, like chapter 9, verse 1, 1 and 2, this is someone controlled by the devil. Someone controlled by the devil. But our encouragement rests in that last phrase. This beast is to go to destruction. Don't fear. Don't be timid. Because the beast will be destroyed by God. God will be victorious. Verse 8 continues, And those who dwell on the earth will wonder, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast, that he was and is not and will come. The people of the earth, the dwellers of the earth, those who don't believe, those who have not had their names written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when their names are not written before the foundation of the world, they will believe in the beast. They will take the mark of the beast. They will not believe in Christ. And these people will wonder because he will be a miraculous man. And that is another way to take this phrase, he was and is not and will come, that he performs miracles. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 identifies the man of lawlessness, son of destruction. Revelation, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1. 
It mentions him, mentions that he performs miracles, and then also says that Christ will destroy him. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter, as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the, the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason... God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. There he appears, he performs wonders, he exalts himself, Christ slays him and brings him to an end. Now back to Revelation 17 and verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Here is the mind which has wisdom. This phrase in verse 9 is simply saying that if we truly understand, if we understand with wisdom, God's wisdom, what's happening here, we will f grapple with this interpretation. He will give us some idea of what he's talking about, and this is the mind that has wisdom if we have a true understanding and interpretation, it's found right here. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now, in verse 9, the reason that Rome, the actual city of Rome, whether past, present, or future, is a common interpretation for the harlot has to do with this. Because it says, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Rome is a city of seven mountains or seven hills. However, the word is translated, and it could be translated either way, as mountains or hills. Rome is that kind of a city. It has seven mountains or hills. Jerusalem is also that way. Jerusalem also has seven mountains or hills. And this is why another interpretation is to take the city of Jerusalem to be this harlot. Well, verse 10. There are seven kings. One is uh, that have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. Here, there's seven. Five have already come. One is, the other has not yet come. When he comes, he'll remain a little while. The interpretation that sees 
all of these chapters through chapter 18 as having taken place in the first century says that the seven kings he's talking about are the seven Roman emperors that John the Apostle has experienced. The ones he's already experienced, the one that is not, he says there, the other has not yet come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. That is another malicious and destructive emperor, and that one would be, according to that interpretation, the emperor Domitian and John's John's book, the book of Revelation, was written during that time, 81 to 96, 80, 81 to 96, and toward the end, the end of that reign. And he, he would be speaking of that. Well, the problem with that interpretation, the reason why many today do not hold to it, has to do with the fact that there were many other, and many more kings, many more emperors uh, throughout the Roman Empire after the first century, and what about them? And what about their demise? And if John is talking about the demise of ancient Rome, well, what about all the other kingdoms after ancient Rome? What could he be speaking of yet future? John did not believe Christ was going to actually return when this last emperor reigned. He did not believe that. He was not told that. He was not told that he was going to remain alive until Christ returns. In fact, some disciples thought that in John chapter 21, and John the Apostle corrects their misinterpretation. So, what could this mean? Others will take this as future, that five of the kings have already take, uh, have come, another one is yet to come, and that one that's yet to come is still in the future whether our generation or a subsequent generation is still in the future. And then another way to take it is simply to say that seven kings, seven is a number of completion, that most of the malicious kings have already existed, but yet, that, yet there is still one to come, and when he comes, that will be the time near the end and of a time of great tribulation before Christ returns and then destroys that evil empire and the Antichrist and the harlot and all of this will come to its consummation. Verse 11. And the beast which was and is not is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven and he goes to destruction. The beast, the beast on which the harlot sits this beast is one of the seven and likely the last of the seven. And then because he will reappear in the sense of his evil influence, the spirit of Nero, in other words, will reappear. He is associated with the seven and he will come to the end at the end and he will be the eighth and the final, but he will be destroyed. He will be destroyed now, verse 12. Verse 12. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Now, the ten kings and the authority that they give to the beast 
This is taken to be a future event, either ten literal kings or ten being another figure of completion and comprehensiveness, that is, the kings of the earth join with the one, the one, the eighth king, the, the beast, and they come together, they work together in order to dominate politically and religiously the whole world. Now, who is their enemy? Verse 14. These who conspire will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. They wage war. When they wage war against the people of God, they wage war against the Lamb of God because we are the body of Christ. And yet the Lamb will overcome them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians even chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 2 both say that when Christ comes back, He will wage war against the enemies of God, that is in the plural in chapter 1, and then the enemy of God, the man of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, against Him. He will overcome them because He is Lord of lords and King of kings. There's no one more superior or sovereign than he is, and there's no one who has a greater throne than the king of kings. That's Christ. Who else will be victorious? Those who are with him, that is, the called. We are called by God. Romans 8, 28 to 30, that God loves the ones... Um, he does good or causes good to happen to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And those who are, are called are the same ones He foreknows, He predestines, He justifies, and He glorifies. As well, they are chosen. As it says in Romans eight twenty eight to 30 they are chosen by God. Uh, even Romans 11, verse five, verses 4 and 5, we are chosen by God. And even we are faithful. We will remain faithful until the very end. Even Romans 8. Romans 8, 28 to 39. We will remain faithful because God will ensure that that happens. Those whom He calls, these He will justify. And those whom He justifies, He will glorify. We will remain faithful until the very end. For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 6. Verse 15. And he said to me, in contrast, what will happen to the rest of the people of the world? Verses 15 and following explain. The rest of the people, the waters which you saw, where the harlot sits, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The various peoples of the world will be controlled by the harlot. Verse 16, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast, these will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. Now, although the harlot and the beast and the ten horns for a time work together, for a short time, as it says in verse 12, for one hour, the ten kings work with the beast for one hour, another figurative way of saying for a short time. Yet, by the time we get to verse 16, they will turn against the harlot. 
So the political forces will turn against the religious forces and kill and demolish the religious forces, even though they were enemies. They were an axis of evil, the political and the religious, but then the political will destroy the religious. And it's described in this gruesome way that they will make her desolate, naked, eat her flesh, cannibalism. That's how, that's how uh, base and uh, destructive that they are, that they would cannibalize and then burn her up, burn up whatever parts of her body they don't eat. Utter destruction shows the wickedness and satanic nature of the political forces dominating and destroying the religious. However, nothing, nothing is out of control. Verse 17. How did this happen and why did this happen? What was the ultimate and primary cause, the first cause of all this? For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled. Until the words of God should be fulfilled. God put it in them to kill one another. God put it in them to destroy one another. First to have a common purpose and then for their purpose to be to destroy one another. And then verse 18. The woman whom you, whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. One more time, whether that's ancient Rome, modern Rome, future Rome, or ancient Jerusalem, modern Jerusalem, future Jerusalem, this city reigns over the kings of the earth. There is a sense in which the evil that emanates in world powers, political and religious, these are the ones who control and work with all of the, all of the dominions of the world, all of the kingdoms and authorities of the world. They work together in order to fight against God and they manifest it against the people of God. That's the way evil works. Political and religious forces against God and against the people of God, they reign, they reign for a time, but Christ will come back and He will destroy them all and then we will reign with Him. We will in the end because we are the called, the chosen, and the faithful. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.